<laughs> We're going to have a riot today, but it's got an important social message, and I urge you to go down, check out Paul Stansby's YouTube channel. I've been hooked, I've been watching his videos, and he comes at it from a different angle from people just coming in and telling the story arc of crime. He started out, based on his own life experiences and his own redemption, interviewing victims of crime. So there's a lot of knife crime, there's gangs, there's stabbings, there's murders, but people get deep inside themselves and express the inner feelings concerning these things. And Paul has obviously addressed his own demons just earlier. He's talking about his life, the crime he was into, and now he's on this mission to get people on, to collaborate, to raise people up, create that positive energy, and help people by telling the stories. It's so therapeutical. And for him himself, when he, he first started filming himself, talking to camera, he felt that therapeutic benefit and he's sharing that now with others so they can get that same kind of mental health assistance especially when they've been through these harrowing things Mm. so all of paul's links are in the description box below the video and now we're gonna get paul to tell us his story so huge thank you for coming on man now i really appreciate you um having us on guys it's uh it's big things you know and i'm i'm glad that you know you 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 recognize my channel and um you know you see the positive that i'm doing and, you know, it's always good. Uh, everyone always wants to fight and stuff on YouTube. And, I'm, you know, I'm just so past all that, you know. And it's just, I want I want people to understand that, you know, we could work together really, really well, you know. And the message, especially, like, with my message of trying to just get people to, you know, start dealing with life again, you know. Um, like, it's true what you said. It is like therapy. You know, a lot of people who I do podcast, they say, man, this weren't a podcast. This was like therapy. You know, and it's the same for me because what they don't understand is when I'm giving it to them and I'm I'm podcasting them and they're talking, it's actually helping me as well. Um, and that's how I've managed to get through so long with with losing my brother and starting all this from scratch. You know, you learn so much from your guests, don't you? Oh, mate, a variety well, you of believe. experiences. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, whereabouts did you grow up? Um, oh, mate, all over, all over. And that ain't even no joke. Uh, I was born in London, um, born at West Middlesex Hospital, um, Hounslow, Feltham, all, all, of, all of that area. And then um, come from quite a domestic um, childhood. My, my dad was pretty hands-on with my mum. I never witnessed it. I heard it. And you know yourself with things that you do, trauma can come from any angle. Do you know, even like you could be in another room if they're shouting, you'll, you'll remember it. You might bypass it, but later on it comes back out, you know, and that was like that for me. So we ended up moving. We got put into protective custody, so a women's refuge. So we were put in women's refuges where there's no men allowed in there whatsoever. It's just women, 387 women. Um, I was the only boy in the women's refuge. There was literally full of girls. Did you have siblings? Yeah, girls. Yeah, yeah girls. sisters. Yeah. So I've got two sisters with my mum and, and a brother, um, the one I lost. And then my dad moved on and had some more. And he's got two two sons and uh, a daughter. Oh, wow. So you moved into women's refuge. Yeah. How long were you in there for? Years. Oh. Yeah, years. We didn't really come out because, because the relationship was so violent that... And it, it, my dad was so persistent in finding us, my mum. I don't know whether it was because he wanted to see us or I don't know whether it was because he wanted to get my mum again, you know. So every time that he'd find us, we'd move. 
and we we was at a place for one one day once and he had found us and then we had to move again in two two weeks we was there at one one other place we moved again and that's that's what it was like you know so were you scared of him and missing him simultaneously mm. it was really it's really hard cuz i like i I say I'm a mummy's boy, but the thing is, I've never really had a dad to be anything different. You understand? So, like, for me, it was, I always wanted to know, I see other people with their dads, and I always wanted to know what it was like to be brought up by my dad. Um, seeing, meeting my dad later on in the years out of curiosity, because, you know, you you want to know, you want to see. Um, I see that probably being, if I'd have been brought up by my dad, I would have probably been working at Tesco not there's nothing in it but my ambitions would have been made for me do you know what I mean so it's quite a controlling person so you know um if he worked at BT son and my brothers they work at BT do you know what I mean so it was like I didn't want I didn't want that for me did it interfere with your school life massively in what way well I went to and I said this before and I had comments come back and yeah you you've been over 100 schools impossible it's not I've been to over 100 schools wow. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, and I, I pretty much remember most of them, you know, but I, it was always the same feeling. So you can't forget the feeling, you know, you, you can't make no friends because you don't know if you're going to be there the next day. And you're always a new kid. Can you imagine being the new kid right away throughout most of your school life? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty horrible, you know, so I, but we was from a side of a family where, we played with our siblings. Like, so I, if we wanted to go out, we all went out together. So we was never really alone, but we never really had friends, you know, because there weren't no point making any. Because as soon as you made someone or someone say, oh, do you want to sleep over? And it's like, am I allowed? I'm not allowed because in case my dad come down and found out I was sleeping there and he's got a way of kidnapping us, you know? So we weren't allowed to do none of that stuff. Did your dad try to kidnap you? Um, yeah, this one time, I remember this one time I was, we were standing at a bus stop and my dad had spotted us. And um, he come out of nowhere and he grabbed, I was the only child he grabbed. And uh, I was like, I was scared, but I was happy um, because it was me dad. So he goes, come here, he grabbed hold of me and I'll give him a hug thinking he was going to put me straight back down. But he didn't, he walked off with me. What? Yeah, he walked off with me. And I like, I was like, he goes, you ain't getting him back. I'll come back for the others. And then he walked off. The police got me back, yeah. you know, but um, yeah, he just picked me up and walked off. That was terrorizing because I didn't think I was going to see my mum again because there's no way that he would have allowed me to see her and my mum wouldn't have come to Where? him in case she got hit again, you know, so. Where did he take you? He took me to his car and took me back to his house. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he was taking me back to his house, but he got stopped on the way. Yeah. Mm. So you probably couldn't plan for anything? Did you just like get used to living in the moment and just yeah. seeing what happened every day? Yeah. Has that stayed with you, that? Because it was for yeah, so course. many years. And, and you know yourself, like, like I say, like I've had to learn to manage a lot of things, you know? And I used to think it was really big. And then I lost my brother and nothing compared to having to try and manage that pain. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, like, everything bothered me before. And then when I lost him, everything that I ever remembered kind of got backmarked, you know, like it, it all got put away, you know, and everything that I think about, everything I, I smell, I touch, I listen to, it's just, it's just my brother, you know. And, you know, it's, it's like if I'd have lost him naturally, I still would have, I still would miss him. But because he was taken, it's, I can't explain to you unless you knew someone that, that is like that's been murdered and taken from you 
but it's not. It's just like one minute he was there, next minute he was gone, and I'll never see him again, you know. But he was he he replaced my dad. He was like my dad. He taught me how to cook, how to clean, like shave my little cat whiskers. Yeah. <laughs> I, obviously, I weren't very good at it, so I let it grow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I let it grow. Oh, he's not around to teach me anymore, so I've got to get this uh, this this thing going. That's on the a go. hell of a beard, got nah. to say. Yeah, I think, yeah. how, how old were you then when your brother died? Um, I'm 21 now, so I'm. It was like no. That <laughs> 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 was uh, five years ago. I'm 39 now, so it's five years ago. Oh, it's five years oh, ago. All right, wow. so let's go back then. Still, so um, oh, this must have interfered with your education dramatically. Moving what, around. What, moving moving around. around. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have that. I have trouble like with reading and um, and spelling and stuff. You, whoever I was texting, I think I was texting you. If you see my texts, you're like, what the hell is the matter with this guy? <laughs> Are <they> that bad? <laughs> <laughs> you're saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like well, my, so everything short. Text. I'll put it down to short texting. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's the iPhone you think. Mm. So mm. as you got older in school, then did you have a plan for the rest of your life? Do you know what it is? Like, when when I was younger, so my mum met another guy and he was an horrible, horrible guy. Yeah, but my mum met a horrible guy to to try and scare my dad to stop him from coming. Mm. Um, but because I look exactly like my dad, I was enemy number one, do you know? So, like, if if my dad ever did come, I would get the brunt of it or, you know... He'd just think that my mum was always looking at me and seeing him, do you know. So I, I got a lot of I got a lot of torment on that one. How so? Um, it used to be so bad. I used to wet the bed all the time, and and you know, like if my mum was out, he used to be like, "Yeah, let's play wrestling." But he would literally like hammer me, you know, what? put my feet like up past my head until I couldn't breathe and pass out. And yeah, I, I used to literally I was wetting the bed all the time. And then my punishment was, because he was a big football man, my punishment was I was grounded all the time. The only time I was allowed out is for him to put me in goal and kick footballs at me. Now, he's six foot three, and he was a monster, he was a monster guy, and he was powerful. And, you know, I'm, I'm like six years old up to 11 years old standing this goal. I, I once had to go, he kicked the ball so hard at us that if I caught the ball, I took a day off my ground. But if I let a ball in, I put two days on my ground. Yeah, so he kicked the ball, and I really wanted to go out that weekend, and I caught the ball, and I I, li- I literally like went flying backward. You know what you see in Hollywood when you you, you explode and then you go through the wall or something. That's what that's what I, I end up getting concussion and going to hospital, and I had to tell him that I fell off my bike, otherwise he'd get me again. Holy shit! Yeah, so it's just it's just things like that, you know. And was your mum aware no. of the abuse? No, so no. you kept that hidden. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had, I had no choice because if I did tell her. It would get worse when she was going out doing her little cleaning jobs and stuff, you know. So, yeah, it it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth telling her. I told her afterwards, you know, but it just wasn't worth telling her whilst he was there. I bet you couldn't wait to leave then, could you? Do you know what it is? When the I, I, I took so much that when he did actually leave and the police ejected him from the situation because it was like he either goes or you go back into an institution again like um, women's refuge you know and they they are like mini prisons you're not allowed to do anything you can share a kitchen you share a bathroom you know everything's militant it's um you can't get away with anything you know and if you're noisy you've got to be told to be quiet it was it wasn't a nice place but it was it was nice you know what i mean because it wasn't 
home where all the all the drama was happening all the time. What were the other women like there at the refuge? They loved me. Yeah. Yeah, I was the only boy there, so really I was like Hugh Hefner, just, you know. <laughs> so just without just without the X-rated stuff, you know. But um, they absolutely loved me because I had like blue eyes, really long hair. I haven't always been bald, you know. Really long hair. You know what I mean? I thought Sean, <laughs> Sean was born bald. <laughs> born bald. <yeah. laughs> so <are> you. <laughs> it's all a wig, <laughs> but though. <laughs> Yeah, so how did you emerge from that routine into becoming an adult then? Um, I felt like when when my mum got rid of this guy, um, I then started seeing that I had to up the game because mum had no protection. She was a single woman. She was worried. At this time, I started finding my feet. Um, you know, being able to scrap, I started fighting a lot. And, you know, and everyone that I was going for was him. You know, he was the visualization whenever I was scrapping and just being thing. And I was always, I was scared, but I wasn't afraid. Do you know what I mean? It was like, that's really hard to explain. Like, if someone was to cry, I'd be like, even still today, like if someone was crying, it really unnerves me. Do you know, like I feel really like I don't know what to do. So I say something like, I don't cry. You look ugly when you cry. Just so I can get the, the laughter back out of him. Mm. And uh, it went wrong for me once, but... Uh, how so? She went, everyone cries. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And she goes, sorry, I'm just Colombian. I'm I'm really aggressive like that. I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, yeah, that's all right. And I was just sitting there. I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to make her laugh, you know. It worked in the end. She got it. She got it. She's a friend of ours now, so it's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I thought, after she punched me up. No, no. <laughs> so you you were toughening up to have this protective role. Is that what? what yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think I was already quite tough with the stuff that he was doing to us. I was just too scared to put it into play in case I was challenged. You know what I mean? Um, because I'd never really had a fight or nothing. So right up until I had my first one, that's when I realized, hang on a minute, I can actually do this. And I've already taken beatings from like a six foot odd guy. So another kid my age is not going to be able to do what he done to me. So I, I was just, that, that was the start of it all really. Sorry, where was your brother at this point? My brother was, um, he was a bit wavy, you see. He was um, like in and out of jail and stuff. And, you know, he also could have a little row. So he'd be in for, you know, fighting offences and, and driving offences and things like that. So, um, yeah, he, he had he had it way worse than me, I believe. Because, like, even though my brother always put on a front of things, and this is what, like, I took a lot from him on this, even though that he'd put on a front and stuff in his eyes, and you can always eyes tell the truth, right? I could always see, like, he was struggling. But it didn't matter because birthdays, Christmases, you know, like any occasions, he'll always be back no matter what, you know. He might disappear for, like, three, three months at a time and you wouldn't hear nothing. But if in that three months something was a matter, he'd be back instantly, you know. So he was like... He was like a free soul, but a trapped one. Mm. And that's that's how we call him a misfit. You know what I mean? That's mm. that's what he is, like a misfit. He never fitted in, but he was always liked wherever he was, always cracked jokes and 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 stuff like that. Did you ever have a period of time in your teens or ch- childhood, should I say, or teens, where you felt settled? Nah. Never? Nah. Nah, I'm, I've, I've never, ever been in a place where I thought to myself... I'm good now, you know, I'm, I feel good. And then this happened 
and it took everything, every every bit of strength that I'd I'd built up to be able to get through my days, all went, oh, wow. and I had to figure out another way of being able to to manage everything. And the podcast is what what I had in place, but that took me four years in from losing him. You gotta remember, I went through court, and when someone gets murdered, it's not it's not like ah. Uh, Auntie's dead, you know, she she had a little stroke or a heart attack or something, and then you can bury him a week later or two weeks later, I think it is. This was like you had an autopsy, then you had like a death autopsy, a criminal autopsy, and then the police autopsy. So like he's gone under three times. So I've got all this. At the same time that from when I got it, my mum's on suicide watch. She's she's so drugged up now, she's like she would be a drug dealer's best customer if she didn't get the stuff from the doctors you know because she's she, i lost my mum that night that night she found out my mum died as well that was it she was gone i don't oh I, the woman that i've got now holy shit i've just i call her mum but i don't know who she is <sighs> and this is the trauma that i have really tried to 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 get out there on the damage that's caused because i think if people could understand how much destruction is caused from crime. I, I think, and, and especially if they can feel it, I don't think they would commit crimes again, you know, because like my brother died that night. My mum died that night. My stepdad had a stroke the next day. He's not been the right since, you know, my sister, she turned into an alcoholic, but I've got her, I've got her on the straight now. Do you know what I mean? I've got her, she's, she's doing well, but you know, families were destroyed. Um, my my brother's only daughter was pregnant, so she never even got to see her granddad. He never even got to see his granddaughter. Do you know? And it's just that he had a son of one. You know, and they say it takes three three generations to be forgotten. You know, but if if you're a dad and you've got a son of one. By the time he's five, he would have forgotten your face, especially if the mum doesn't put that face in front of you. <coughs> so you go from the three generations to maybe four or five years in a child's life. Wow. You've been replaced. And the only way he'd know that he had a dad is, oh, yeah, my dad died when I was one. He was killed. And that that's it. This is what no one is putting out there. And I've, I, I, there wasn't anything put in place for me to be able to manage it, they turn around and go, yeah, we can do you therapy and that lot. Well, for me, talking to somebody didn't really, it didn't, it didn't settle for me because I was off key anyway, you know? So like, I didn't want you to trigger me and you're only doing your job. I don't want you to trigger me. And then something happens that shouldn't have happened, you know? So I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I need to stay focused. I've got, I've got to watch my mum. She's, she's like tempted to kill herself so many times. And it's just, horrendous because I, I you so turn around and say to her you go mum what about us but she's not thinking that because my brother was her firstborn you know it was her baby she was young when she had him um I think she was 14 when she had him that is yeah young. very young very young you know and she would sit there and say that was way too young she will she would admit to it but you imagine she was 14 when she had my my brother and he she's 60 and so most literally most of her life has been with this with her son you know it's not been anywhere without him what is the age gap between you two um he's he was 41 when he dies for five years he's 46 i'm 39 so 
Yeah. Yeah, but with my others, I've got one sister that's like a year older than me, and then I've got another sister that's three years older than me than him. You know, so, yeah. What was your first brushes with the law? Mine. Yeah. You love that question, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> True crime. <laughs> True crime. Um, my first brushes with the law, I, I, I think it was shoplifting. Yeah, it was shoplifting. Well, I say it was shoplifting. There was, we lived in a place called, so you know Sudbury? Sudbury. Yeah. What's that? Um, ne- next to Hadley. <laughs> Where's that? Um, so do you know where, do you know Ipswich? Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about 10 miles, just about 10 miles from there. It's, it's, it's like near country, Ipswich. countryfied. Yeah, it's near <laughs> Ipswich. And, um, that we lived on top of shops. It was one of the houses we got put into to, um, just temporary. It was like, uh, it was like flats on top of shops. So it was called the top shops. And, um, they would used to deliver cakes every morning out the back. And my mum, we like, we never had a lot. And I, I'd be like, ah, well, I'm going to go and nick everyone a cake, you know? So they'd, 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 lorry would pull in, they'd leave the cakes on the trays and I'd pick a tray up and run off with it. You <laughs> I know? Used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and the only reason why I got caught is because my sister, Jasmine, Just. nah, she, she was like, she goes, can I come with you? I was like, yeah, come on in. She come down with us and, um, yeah, she got caught. Cause she, cause whilst I was nicking the cake, she was eating them. Oh. So she went looking. So as, as I've as I've as I've spotted this guy, he goes, "Come here, I've gone. I've still got the tram. I've gone." I'm like, I'm like, let go of my sister. I'm getting my mum. Oh. <laughs> you don't want my mum coming. That's what I mean. My mum was so alive. She was so so like you know. You would if you if you was getting in a scrap and they brought their parents, I'd bring my mum. You're in trouble, mm. you know. But now she's just she's she's just a shell. So sad. Mm. So what was your next brushing with the law? Um, I was, do you know when you play ET on, on a, on a push bike? So you're on the handlebars, but you're sitting on the handlebars. Oh, play ET? Yeah. So you're yeah, on, yeah. yeah. So I was, I was getting a lift back like ET style. So I was on the handlebars and I was with a guy <laughs> that was in prison with my brother and hit my brother. When he come out, he didn't have nowhere to go. So my brother was like, yeah, you can come back to mine. Well, it weren't. Mine was mum's house and the only room that there was was mine. So he and this kid ended up having my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, all oh, right. Okay. So somebody he'd get in, I'd be asleep. And I'd wake up and I'd have his feet in my face because he's talking down with me. I, I, I'd had enough. So we, we went to the shop and come back from the shop. We got who we had my other sister's bike, luminous pink girl's bike. <laughs> I'm on the handlebars and this guy was coming down on another bike and he goes, yeah, let's, let's play chicken. And I was like, what? And the next thing I know, because I'm on the handlebars, I ain't, I can't move nothing. We just plowed into this guy and I was, I was hurt really bad. And, and, and the guy that I, it was on the back of the bike, he, done a runner and I was just left tangled up in this guy's bike and he called the police on us and I got nicked for that but what's the charge for that criminal damage Ooh, interesting. I, was, I was on the handlebars I had no control you got hurt. yeah I, I was hurt <laughs> I was I was caught in the wheel yeah. mm, so that was that but then like what as the charges on that one I didn't know I got off of it because I, yeah. I was young they wanted him because <laughs> but he'd, he he was gone so. <laughs> but like from then I'd, I'd done a lot, lots of like you know just stupid petty things uh, you know I was, it was just you know we robbed the milk float once and the milkman chased after us and we were going around the corner and my cousins were hanging on the side the milk float ended up tipping over and the road was completely white of milk and the milkman was just looking at us but as he was chasing after us we were throwing points of milk at him you know and, and you know you used to get points of orange juice and it was like we were like grenade and then so it's smashing he was ducking so the, the milk float went over and we, we managed to get away but um have you ever yeah. stole off the milkman 
of door, doorsteps, done. done the doorsteps. <laughs> yeah, done the doorsteps. Yeah, orange juices. Yeah. Orange yeah. juices, yeah. You used yeah. to find it in the ward, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but like, as as time went on, I, mean, I was young when I'd done all this stuff, you know, and as time went on, my, my crime got more extensive. You know, I started um, being up in the dock for weapon offences, you know. So <clears throat> I'd been up there a couple of times for knife crime offences because, like I said earlier on, I wasn't, I wasn't a clean person. I was, I was hands in dirty, you know, and, you know, weapons were choice, acts, knives, things like that, you know, just, it was just part and parcel of how we was back then when we were kids. And like I said, the amount of damage that I caused, you know, the amount of times I come close to going to jail and it was, it wasn't until I become a victim myself that I realized that everything I was doing it had to change because if if someone would have come to me and give me this feeling when I was a kid, I would have never have done anything. I would never have hurt anybody, no matter what. I would never have hurt anybody no. because now I know how they felt. And I've, I, you know, I've done apologies. I've said to everyone that I've, I've hurt, whether they believe my apology or not, it's up to them. But I am truly sorry for what I did. So the weapons offences then was that like possession? Was that hurting people? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, I had a couple of charges for for a stabbing. Um, uh, I we was in a tussle once before in a group, and I ended up like whacking a copper with a hammer, and you know it was just just like bits and pieces, like all stuff. I I really I can't stress to you enough how much I regret all the stuff I've done. You know, so but, that landed you in prison, did it for the first time? No, no, I, I ended oh. up in a mental institution. Uh, I was deemed unsafe to the public. So oh. yeah. Oh wow! So you had to get a what's it psychiatric yeah. analysis? Yeah, it was the police that put me there. You know, it mm. was uh, you know I was I was I was in this I was in it for a while, but you know they stuck me in there. But I I don't feel like I was nuts. I knew that I was off key, but I didn't I didn't think that I was like I should have been. You know, people are in there and they're headbutting walls and shouting out stupid stuff and you know like chants and that. I, I wasn't any of that. I was just like. But so were you heavily medicated back then when you were in the mental institute? Yeah. Right. And that's why I don't do medication that lot now because um, they don't tell you what they're putting you on; they just give you it, you know. And the more, the more you are off key, the more that they give you to make you just fall asleep all the time. And and you know when you see, and sometimes you see in the movies where they're sitting there and they're just like, you feel like that, really fatigued. That's what they, that's what it does to you. They try and almost get you to a point where you just can't be bothered. And that's how come you see them people that are slurring words and stuff because they're just off their nut, yeah. not mentally, just off their nut, like with drugs. And so I don't, I don't take no tablets for nothing. Did you get your own room in there? Yeah. And is it like a community area and stuff? Or? Yeah, there's a community area, but it was guarded. You know, you had you had people there. I, I, I'd want to say it was like prison, but I don't know. You know, so um, you have the people there and, you know, if you did kick off, they weren't light with you either. You'd, you'd get twisted up and you will get, you get thrown in. I want to see someone that was just, they weren't really doing anything. They got told to stop, um, clicking. So they had, they were like clicking. I don't know how they'd done it. I've, I've tried to imitate it, but they were clicking their fingers, but it was really loud, <laughs> but they would like with their nails almost. I think they were trying to like take the nails off, but it was making oh. a noise. And I see him say, stop it. And it didn't I say, threw him on the floor and then they put a chair over him and they sat down on the chair and the geezer was just laying there and and if I turn around and go you can't do that bang that's it you're, you're... same happens to you mm. wow how old were you when you got out of that one uh, 18 19 and did your life 
continue on that same vein? Nah. Well, it, it, yeah, it, it, like I say, it wasn't until I lost my brother that things changed for me. So my change pattern has only been five years, you know. And when I say that, when it first happened, I was always quite hands-on. I, you know, I collected money. Um, I, you know, if someone needed something done, I'd, I'd began to do it. I was very, I was a very hands-on physical person, you know, um, never, never done drugs. I've never even taken drugs, never nothing. That was all my brother. But, you know, I was, he, he was the one that done all that lot. But what was your job at this point? I was a criminal. That was it. That was it. I was a criminal. And then the times when, I decided to try and do something that was a little bit different. I'd done, like, I went on to do building work and stuff, you know, and I was just, I was just doing stuff on that. So what were your hurriest moments when you were a criminal and what close calls did you have? Um, oh, went into a house. Um, I was, I was with my brother, went into a house. Um, there was some problems with people paying, um, for, you know, drugs and stuff that they had. And we've, we've gone into a house and as we've gone into a house, we, we thought there would have only been a couple of people in there and there wasn't, there was like, they'd just had a party the night before. So there was a lot of people that was just laying around. And then when we turned in, everyone stood up. Um, yeah, that ended up in a mass brawl. There was about four of us and I f- there was a lot of them. I, c- I couldn't even tell you how many people there was. Um, there was a lot of them. That was one of them. We were lucky to get out. Uh, someone that was with us, he ended up getting stabbed in the, um, in, the, in like through the, you know, the part between the collarbone and he got stabbed yeah. there. So we ended up having to drag him out and then get him in the car and go. Um, did that, that ever get collected? <laughs> yeah. How yeah. much was it? Out of it, interest. Four grand. Yeah, it weren't nothing major, but yeah, it weren't, it weren't like no big player thing, but it's just, you know, countryside. So. It's just, you know, if you're a five of people do stupid things, it's just, it's just pathetic, honestly. But what about getting guns pulled on you, things like that? Yeah, I haven't been convicted for any of that, so I'd, I've never had my hands on any of them before. But I mean, other people pulling them on you? Yeah, there was this one time where um, I was actually in Manchester in Moss Side. I used to live <laughs> Moss up there. Side? Yeah, I was we in, got chased out of Moss Side. Yeah, and it's kind of like that, isn't it? Kids, it's absolutely yeah, crazy. Yeah. So I'd gone up to go and buy a dog from Moss Side, and um, <laughs> one, one opening line for a story. Yeah. <laughs> I was going buy a dog from Moss Side. <laughs> so I'd gone, I've gone up there. I've, I'm in Moss Side. I'm buying this dog, and I, I, I pulled in this road, and there was no cars anywhere. I was the only car that was there, and I was like. Sand don't feel right here. So we'd gone up and I thought, we're getting robbed. I'm getting robbed. I was on I was on my own and I was like, I'm getting robbed here. I still done it anyway because I really wanted this dog. You know, there wasn't many people that had this certain dog. So I was what like, type? it was an American bulldog, but it was like a Johnson's once. It was stocky, the dad, the dad. Dog. Yeah, it was um yeah. it was a really nice dog, you know. Yeah. So I've opened the door and this girl's opened the door and I was like, Oh, you right? I'm burly man standing on the door. There's a little girl there. Is there? It's fine. I was like, I come to buy a dog. They say, yeah, come in. I've got a dog. And then as I was leaving, yeah, someone said, so, this guy pulled a gun out. And I was like, I was like, what's that? So I've grabbed the end of the gun and I've pushed, I've pulled it down. Is like in the house? Yeah, as I'm Someone coming out. Someone who lived in the house. So no, so what they've done is I think they set it up. So as I was coming out, they were going to rob me. So someone out on the street was already ready for when I was coming out of the house. So as I come out, I've grabbed the end of the gun and I've moved it to the side and I'm holding, I'm holding this gun and they're like, they're like, what are you do-? I said, what are you doing? And they go, give me everything you got. I said, 
I've got what you've got. <laughs> you know, I've got what you've got. But obviously, I was a lot, you know, I was very aggressive with this. I said, I've got what you've got. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I love and, that. And it, 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 I, was, uh, I, I said, I've just, I said, if you want the money, mate, it's in the house. And he <laughs> went, yeah. right. So he walked straight past me. I got in my car and I was gone. <sighs> did you get the dog? Yeah. Yeah, I've talk? got the dog. Yeah, the dog's yeah, mine, yeah. you know. But <laughs> I was like, this, get out of the way. <laughs> but wow. yeah, that was that was a hairy moment on that one. I'm never going to Moss Rider by a dog again. Yeah. yeah. I say local now. <laughs> Stick with chihuahuas and stuff. Do you still have that dog? Nah, nah, it no. dies. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Ted. Yeah, it dies. So. so have you been stabbed? Uh, no. I got stabbed with a now file. Um, okay. Yeah. By who? X. Yeah. <laughs> An X. Yeah. Do you want a row? Well, no, it wasn't even a row. I was, I was leaving my shop at the time um, to go up to Newcastle because I used to live up in Newcastle. And I was, I was, um, I was leaving my shop, and she was just, she's just, just crazy girl. She's, I'm not, I'm, she's an ex for a reason. So I, my phone rang, and I left, I left all my CDs, the times the CDs, you know. And I left <laughs> my CDs, and my brother-in-law called me up, and he was like, "You've left all your CDs." I was like, "All right, all right, no problem." She was like, "Who's that?" She's sitting there doing her nails. Who's that? I go, Give me a sec. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll be there in a minute." She, she's like, "Who is that?" I went, "Give me a sec. I'm just on the phone." She goes, "You're chatting to a girl," and I was like. And I was like, hold up, I'll, I'll come back in a minute. I'll put the phone down. She was like, you're chatting to a girl. I was like, I'm chatting to Ryan. You're going to see him in a minute, you know? And she, she was like, no, no, no. And she went like that to stab me in the eye with the uh, with the nail file. And I put my hand up, luckily. Oh. And uh, you see that scar that's there? Yeah. Yeah, so she got me on that Saved one. Good oh, my God. Can you imagine if she'd have got that? I've got to ask, you've got a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Which was your first um, it was some Chinese symbols that was underneath here. Oh, yeah. The reason why I got tattoos is was all mental, <clears throat> the mental trauma. <clears throat> I never planned on getting tattoos. I didn't want tattoos. I wanted to be an individual. You know, my brother was covered as well. My journey for tattoos started because I wanted to create a persona that if this guy ever come back to my mum's, I would look scary enough for him not to want to hurt her. Okay. And that's where it all started. Turned out I ended up loving it that much anyway that I'd become a tattooist myself. So that's what I do as my day job. I'm a tattooist. So something that I put into play to try as a deterrent ended up being my career. So that was in your teens then, was it, when you started? Yeah, I, well, I, I started tattooing. I started getting tattoos quite late, actually. I was about 19, 20 when I first started. But I was there like every week. Put it on me, put it on me. Which was your first? The Chinese? Chinese what did it say? Um, it said angel. Oh. <laughs> I, went, I went with a friend of mine and he got to the shop before me. He, We was like, mm. yeah, let's get Chinese symbols because that was the thing. And he'd got there and he only had two Chinese symbols on the wall. One said devil, the other one said angel. <laughs> he got there before me, got devil, mm. I got angel. <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky. Yeah, really. Why did you get it covered up then? I don't want angel on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably oh. didn't even say what it said anyway. No, that, mm. I find that amusing. Let's yeah. see chicken chow mein and rice. Or yeah, I think that's what yeah. it did. That's yeah. what I think that's what it said. <laughs> Every time I walked in there, they go, ah, oh, usual. <laughs> <laughs> what other crazy stuff happened to you in your 20s? 20s. Do you know what? Like, honestly, when I sit there and say to you, like most of the stuff that I've done was it's all like been so clouded from from trauma from losing my brother that every time I try and think of stuff, 
I don't, I, I don't, you know, it's not, it's just not there. But, um, you know, in my twenties, I had, um, you know, I was arrested for a, a stabbing, uh, again, um, for another time. Um, that was all to do with an ex. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was just all, it's just all mad. I, I, I once, the same, so the same guy that I'd done the ET thing with, yeah, he never actually moved away. He stayed with us and, we we um stole my um my mum and dad's car well, my stepdad's car and i didn't know how to drive and um he was like should we go for a drive i was like yeah let's go and i got in the car and where my mum lives she lives in the houses and right opposite of bungalows and um i didn't realize that the steering was on a full lock so he was like do a wheel spin i was like yeah so so i was in there i was like dropped it done a wheel spin and we just went like this <laughs> it, and i drove through the house opposite no. yeah i drove through the house opposite i didn't know what to do we was panicking he's like you can need to reverse it i said i don't know how to reverse it? um luckily the guy whose bedroom it was is a friend of mine and um he was staying at his his mum's house that was his granddad's house so that was his bedroom and um yeah we sort of i sort of pinned his his beds to the opposite side of the wall but i, I reversed out of there not thinking nothing of it, just out of panic. I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And the car was like smashed up. So I was like, right, let's face it the other way. So if anyone comes, it, if my mum finds out, which she would like, <laughs> then it looked like someone's hit the car as they've driven down and drove off, like hit and run. Mm. I didn't sit there and think there was a tire track and then there was bricks across the road and there was a tree underneath the car. <laughs> You know, and I've I, I've gone to Mama's. Can I stay at my mate's house tonight? And he, he in Scottish, the, the boy who's Scottish, Scott, he was from Scotland, but we called him Scottish. He was like, "What am I going to do?" I said, "That's your problem, mate." Like, <laughs> I'm off. Like, so I was away. Get a phone call in the morning. Get your ass home now. I was like, "What's the matter, Mum?" <laughs> it was him. It was him. I saw him do it. I went, "Yeah, it was just past the buck on that one." When did you move out of living with your mum? Then fifteen. 15 15 where yeah. did you go i moved into a house with a girl that i was with at the time uh, absolute just nuts woman you know she's yeah I, I hadn't been too successful with women you know i just <laughs> yeah I, I hadn't been that great there's a, there's a lot of trauma there i can tell you um but yeah i ended up moving in with this older woman um she had a kid and that lot i moved in with her she had the house so it was only like 10 doors up the road from where i lived anyway so how long did that last Oh, longer than what it should have done, mate. <laughs> longer than what it should have done. That was uh, that was all help and part and parcel of how I ended up in 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 the night house as well. It was all, all massive parts to play with it and stuff. Yeah. How so? She was just mind games. You know, you go from one mind game to another mind game, and it was just you know you're always getting kicked out. And she was always one of them where like, do you know who? Do you know who? Like, I'm with you know, and because I was very violent. People, she was quite well hated, but when she was with me, they didn't really touch her on, I think. So then it was always, so she was always forcing me to be worse than what I was by playing mind games with her, saying, oh, are you too scared? Are you scared? Even though she knew I wasn't. So I was then going to do stuff and, you know, that I, that was just, just too much. I, mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done half the stuff. And half the people that got hurt was because of her, mm. you know, just because she wanted to be, queen of the estate you know um and it didn't didn't really work out because she's an horrible 
Horrible. So the we just, just stop at horrible. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. there'd be there'd be a whole hour of what I could call. <laughs> <laughs> so the stress accumulated. Yeah. You ended up in that place, and then where did you did you go back to her? Or did you go somewhere else? No, no, no. That was that was done. I mean, um, I I'd come out I'd come out of um, the institution. I, I I'd got in some more trouble, and I was on the run from the police. What kind of trouble? Mm. Fighting again, just you know fighting and just collecting and and all of the above you know and um you know a lot of the time when i was where i was at i was really well known within my area you know and it, because you're not involved with it anymore everyone always try and call you what they need to call you because they want you back do you know what i mean they want you back in that negativity so you've you can't rise to that stuff but when I was there, I thought I was like loved. I thought I was popular. I thought I was a man. Everyone would bib. Everyone would just give you mad respect, you know. And you thought that you was just king because everyone, everyone just feared you, and it was just power. And you know, when when you realise that the respect is out of fear and it's not because out of love, you realise that no one actually likes you. You're just an horrible person and no one wanted you around. So when I left, I was on the run. I'm, I'd done a runner to um, Warrington. Warrington? Warrington. Where I'm from? I'm from Witness. That was Warrington. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'd, I'd done one up there to um, a guy called Gary Bundy's house. And he was like my friend here. And um, he ended up meeting a girl from there. He went up there. So I'd done, I, I was on the run up there. And that's when I started realising that no one was contacting me. Like, I thought people would miss us and that lot because I knew so many people. And they didn't. No, no one missed us. And that's when I realised that all this, all this crime stuff is just all, just all bollocks. You know? What do you think of Warrington? <laughs> oh, yeah, I liked it. It was all right. It was all right. It, I, weren't, I weren't there too long because I ended up going from there to um, Sunderland's. Sunderland of yeah, yeah. So why did you go over there? There was a job over there. Right. And uh, there was a job over there and I, I stumbled across another woman. <laughs> another woman that run me to the ground. Was it a legit job or a collection? No, no, no. I, I, When I moved away and being away from that lifestyle and being away from people that expect that from you, that when you move somewhere new, if, you've, if you're if you in your head, you want to change. When you go somewhere new, you could be anyone you want to be. Mm. You know, and it was, I just wanted to be different because I was fed up with the pain that I was feeling of like, just, you know, you have to do this. You have to, you have to be that person, you know? And it's just, you know, you look in the mirror and you just don't even want to look at yourself anymore because you know that who that person is is not who you truly are, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, and I understand that now. I was gradually understanding, like, all right, no one knows me here until uh, until I find out how the land lies, and then I'll start doing it all again, you know? Um, so I was enjoying being invisible. It was nice to be invisible. I walked down the road, and, you know, a, a horn would bib, and I didn't have to turn around, you know, and be like, who are you, mate? How are you doing? You know, I didn't have to do that. It was just nice to be invisible. Um, and again, another woman that wanted a cause... 
trouble and she wanted to be known and you do it and then she's like oh you bring trouble to the house you need to get out and then you get kicked out and then you get your wages and then they call you back spend your money and then they cause a problem so then you kick off again then they go you bring too much trouble and again you get kicked out and that went on for a few years you know so years in Sunderland yeah Yeah, I've done six and a half years in Sunderland but yeah but the reason why I stayed there was because I had this amazing job there you know I I was tattooing in a shop called Sunderland Body Art. And um, it was quite a reputable shop. And I was really lucky to be there. And the guy there, um, a guy called Charlie Wilson, he was like, he was like my mentor. He was like, got me where I needed to get. Unfortunately, we stopped seeing eye to eye for a little bit because, you know, there was a bit of skirt around that wanted to own my position. And he kind of ran for that. And, you know, I ended up leaving and coming back down back down to Ipswich where my mum and that lot was. How old were you at that point? Uh, 20, 24, 25, I think, something like that. 25, 26, something like that. So did that put you back in the mix with the locals in Ipswich? No, this was really thing. So, so what happened was I got told that if I come back, I'm going to get jumped. They're going to deal with me. They're going to do all this and do all that lot. So who said this? All these people, all these people <laughs> that then claimed the reputation after I left. So when you leave, someone else is ready to jump in your spot, right? So all these people, and then when someone jumps in your spot, everyone else that was licking you was now licking them, do you know? So you go there and then it just so happened that this one house come up when I was coming back and it was next door to a house where they all hang out. And it next door to the pub where they all go to the pub. So my house was smack bang in the middle of it all. And I just landed. This podcast is sponsored by Harry's. Harry's is way more than a super sharp razor company. They're here to revamp your whole routine. From close shaves and flake free hair. All the way to clear healthy skin. Harry's helps guys feel great. For this sponsorship, Harry's is offering a free travel-sized shower gel with a trial set to you the viewers to give you a chance to try their other products as well as shave please make sure to support this podcast and give your own shower shave a go by redeeming a free harry's trial set all you cover is three pounds 95 pence for delivery just head to harrys.com forward slash sean s-h-a-u-n to have your set delivered and start a shave plan. Your freebie will be added at checkout. That's harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting Harry's. Link is in the description box below this video. And then all these people, they're all, I was getting all the stuff out of the van and they're all standing outside. They go, oh, you're back. And it's like, yeah, I'm back. Oh. And they're like, they're like, what's up? So... I'd literally been back to Felixstowe, yeah, where I was. I was back one day. When I woke up in the morning, this guy was walking past the house that I'd been, and I just switched back to who I was. And that's why I can't live in Felixstowe no more, because when I go there, something something negative just takes over, and you end up becoming back that person instantly. I thought, I've done six and a half years without even getting into trouble once, you know what I mean? And then I come back to the hometown as as, as where I grew up, and within the, a night, I was back to how I was because I was out the front of my house scrapping these two guys, you know. 
um, that that's told my mum to f off once. You know what I mean? And I was oh. like, I was like, oi, come here, you know. And it just it went off, you know. And you know they they got hurt. I went back in the house, and she was like, oh, what do you think you're doing? And I was like, that's that's the guys that. And she goes, I don't care, get out. And so that was there. That's how it was, you know. And it was like you get paid, you go back home, mm. you spend the money, you get kicked out again. And that was it. Wow. Mm. So was there more police trouble after that? Yeah, yeah. There was, there was always. There, I always had problems with, with with police, you know. But whenever the police do get called, they come in numbers, you know, because I'm a code red. I, you know, when when the police had come for me in the past, especially me and my brother, because together we was like a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a nuisance, you know. With 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 you know, when the police turned up and we'd we'd scrap the police and. You know, it's just, again, as fun. And, and I got a rush from it all, do you know? It was, you know, you know yourself, when you're committing crimes, the rushes, you can't explain it. You can only feel it, you know? And, and then the police turn up and you're like, yeah, go on in. And you have it all that lot. And you don't realise, man, that when it's actually needed, i.e. when my brother was killed, you don't realise how much the police actually are there to help you. And it's a rude awakening because I'm like, ah, police you know like giving it all out like, I, I, I really have no respect for the police whatsoever none and there's odd coppers where i'm still like you know what do you want you know but you know just because i don't feel like they're there for the for their job they're just there because they got issues themselves got bullied or whatever you know what i mean but the ones that truly are the ones that helped us with my brother's case you know but when i lost my brother the police were so determined like whenever they were going someone they said um, you, um, Paul's already been here. They'd go and question someone. They say, Paul's already been here. And then they turn around and said, has he, what did he ask? And he said, I asked where he can find him. And, um, they were, they were like, you better find him before, before Paul does. Because, you know, I, I'd, I'd gone out, I lost my brother. And the night I lost my brother, I was still that same violent person. You know what I mean? But this time I wasn't going out just to smack someone up. I was going out to kill four people. And I'd done... I never went home for seven days. I, I I I was just on. I'd ring up and be like, "Is mum alright? Make sure she's alright and stuff, you know." And she's my mum smashed up her house, like hurt herself, you know. It's just so this all just led that I needed to find these guys, and you know, by within the time, the length of time, like one of the guys got found and he was stabbed twice. Um, they never found out who that was that done that, um, but. Yeah, he he. I, I thought he was. Uh, I thought that he was going to die because when I when I found out that he'd got stabbed, um, he. I thought, yeah, he's dead. He's just a skinny like crackhead. He was like borderline ready to die anyway. But that's the guy that killed my brother. What? That's the guy that killed my brother. Like the 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 skinniest, weakest one out of them all was the was the coward that done. And I say coward because that's I can say coward because I'd done the same stuff. So I was a coward for doing that. Do you know what I mean? Um, was, but it, was it a drug-related situation? My brother was what I call a functioning drug addict. You know this yourself. You take you take take drugs at the weekend, carry on with your job. You know. Mm. So he he normally got his drugs from one line. Um, this line had been turned over. The police took all his stuff, so he couldn't get his stuff, and he was he was clucking. You know, so he needed to get some stuff. There's this new line that opened um, in the town and my brother wasn't a face to that. And then, but my brother didn't realise that when he was going up to score his drugs, 
that they had a tip off that they were being they were going to get robbed by a gang, one of the local gangs in the area. And when my brother turned up, he was a new face. So they thought that he might have been the spotter for the gang. So they come out and, and treat him like he was the one that was there to oh, rob him. Shit. But he just wanted these drugs. Got in a fight with him. Um, it was back and forth. It was like half five in the day. Busy traffic area on a busy, busy road. Um, he was fighting him. He went on the path, onto the road, on the path, back over the other side. And by the time he had come back, he was like stepping back and fighting. Because he, he could really have a row, you know. He tripped over the curb and when he tripped over the curb the little skinny rat come out and just stabbed him whilst he was on the floor and then they all ran off and that was it what piece of shit died in a stranger's arms didn't even know the guy but this is the stuff like when you say about the live videos and stuff that we do with Cole Cole's very big on the ripple effect right so we, we we talk a lot about this and I never really thought about it but that guy was a teacher at school that was on his way home from a from a day at school, just walking home, his normal the, trip. The guy who held your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never. I, I don't know who the guy is. I don't know who he is to speak to him to ask him if he's okay. I would. I would love to podcast him just to find out a little bit and see how he's got on and that lot. But I don't know who the guy is. They won't tell me who he is. He was obviously a witness in the case, but I weren't allowed in the room because I had to psych evaluated before they'd let me in the courts because they um, they deemed me to be. Um, them not to be safe if I was in the court. So for the first four weeks of the trial, I was being psych-evaluated in the courtroom and the, the amount of police that was down there just to, to stop anything from happening... And I, you know, I'm a one-man army. I'll, I'll do my thing. I don't, I don't need people to come with me. I don't need anything. When I went to look for these people that killed my brother, I was on my own, and no one come with me. And I felt lonely because I thought I had people around me that would come with me to kill people, you know. And it, when when it's actually put on the table and it's like, right, it, I, this my brother's been killed. Like I need to go and find these people. I got. Don't do nothing stupid. I know you're not going to listen, but don't do nothing stupid. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. And just hung up and I was so angry. I was like, wait until I've dealt with these and I'm going to come back and I'm going to have words with you because you should be by my side because if someone died in your family, I would have been there with you. Do you know what I mean? That would probably have been me doing the killing for you, but I was on my own. And that was hard. So whilst I'm dealing with all this, I've got the worry of, like I say, my mum and stuff. And then I've got trying to get my head right because I want to kill these people before my brother gets found and the police are trying they can't nick me because they think I'm going to go and kill somebody so they have to they're always like one step ahead of me or they're trying to think they're in front of me but every time they went around a house thinking they were one step ahead of me I'd already been around the house you know I was walking down the road I was causing that much destruction I was I was taking drug dealers that were shot in on the corners and I was I was just ruining them you know, I didn't, I, I had no interest in any of the drugs or anything. And they said, did he take your drugs? And it's like, no. The people I was with did. Yeah. Like when I say the people that I was with, so I'd get a, I'd get a crackhead and I'd say, take me to the person where they're shot in. Cause I didn't know where they were. So I'd go down, they'd go, there he is over there. And I go, wicked. I'd go off, dealt with them. And then them people that were waiting on the corner, waiting for me, they'd come running out scurries like little cockroaches hmm. and they'd be fleecing them whilst I'd be, I'd be off. I didn't, I wasn't interested in that. And it got to the point where I was, I was finding all these places and I was, I was walking and I found out there was a house. Yeah. 
So I turned up to this house where one of the people um, was supposed to be um, who killed my brother. And uh, I turned up to the house and they said it was a flat. So um, you walk in there's stairs that go up the side of the house to the door. And there's a little driveway down the side. And I'm down there, I'm knocking on the door, hoping it's going to come to the door. There's no answer. I shout through the letterbox. Jason Ruby, you better come out, mate. I want to talk to you. And uh, he just, there was nothing. So I got on the phone. I've come down the stairs. I've got on the phone. I'm standing there and I'm on the phone. I was like, you told me he was going to be here. You wait until I come and see you. Do you know what I mean? You give me false information. You're running me around. I said, time is precious. We need to get these people. And I'm on there. I was like, I was like you told me he was going to be here. I'm tooled up. I'm ready to go. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this geezer. So whilst I'm standing there, there was this white van on the driveway and uh, the windows were like blacked out and I'm standing there and I'm like talking on the phone, but I can see myself in the mirror in, in the reflection of the, and I'm like, "Ah, I'm going to do him. He's done. Like, tell me where he is. And he's like, I swear to you, he's there. I went until I was in court that he moved from the house and he moved into the van. So as I'm shouting that I'm going to kill him and everything else, he was actually looking at me through the window in the van because he said it in court. Oh, wow. Where were you when you found out about your brother's death? I was in a petrol station. Can you talk us through that day? Yeah. Oh, um, it, it's a really weird one that day, right? Because where the where my brother was murdered, that's the journey home for Jamie, the, my cameraman. Uh, that's the, his journey home. And uh, he'd had a real crap day at work. And he was on the bus home. And um, when he was on the bus home, it was under a bridge. And all the bridge had been cornered off. There was like tape police everywhere, like lights He's FaceTimed me. No, he sent me a picture. He sent me a picture going, ah, and he said the word, he goes, ah, it's probably another crackhead dead like that. But he didn't mean it like that, but it was just, it was just like that. And he goes, now I've got to go the long way round because he was really pissed off. And um, I just dropped my daughter off um, after having her and I was in a petrol station and I, I was a half past 10 and uh, I got a phone call. It was my mum. I was like, what's mum ringing me at half ten? There must be something that matters. So I've answered and, and I'm standing there. The guy is like, you must get off your phone. You must get off your phone. I'm like, wait a minute, mate. You know, and I'm, I'm on the phone. He goes, you need to get off your phone. And then my mum's like, they got him. They got him. But it was screeching just like, they've got him. They got him. I said, whoa. I said, what's going on? She went, he's dead. He's dead. I went, who's dead? She went, Dean's dead. I said, nah, mum, you probably got that wrong. You know what Dean's like. He's he's in and out. Like, you know what he's like. She goes, no, the police are here now. And she's like, oh, my baby. And she's screaming, screaming. And I was like, I was like, what's going on, mum? So tell me what's going on. She's like, he's dead. He's dead. And I was like, are you sure? She went, the police. Get out of my... She's like, get out, because we was... Like I said, we're anti-police. Even my mum would take the police on, you know. She'd she'd be on them. Get out of my house and all that lot, you know. And so so I'm sitting there. I was like, I'm now coming. And then I rung Jamie up and I said, "That the police down there, that was Dean. He's dead. And then it was just like, like, just crazy. And I've got... I'm trying to let the people I know that Dean's gone and I need people now because I've got, I've got to go out. I've got to go and get these guys. And everyone was just like, you kidding me? I said, I'm off to my mum's now. I'll let you know. They said, let me know. So I put the phone down. I'm driving back and like, I want to cry, but I just can't cry. I'm welled up, but I'm so confused because no one can get my brother. He's like the toughest person I've ever known in my life. No one can get him. And I'm driving and then I just started screaming. 
screaming like ah, like just holding the steering wheel and I'm shaking it trying to pull the steering wheel off and I'm driving down the motorway I'm trying to pull the steering wheel off you know and I'm just screaming I've nutted the window like I'm just going crazy and then I was like I was no longer out I was out of breath and I was I started being like oh and I I could feel myself going and I'm driving that so I, I've like given a shake I've undone the window and then from that point on after I got that scream out I was focused yeah I now need to think. I've gone walking in. The police are standing there. And as soon as I've gone in, they were, they were leaning on the worktop. I've gone in and they've just stood up. Yeah. And I've gone, I'm walking in. And I've gone, I'm like, ah, is it true? And they're like, and I went, how do you know? She went, Paul, I've been arresting you guys for years. She goes, I've seen it. I've seen him. And then I was like, I'm, all I can hear is my mum upstairs. She's screaming. I hear stuff smashing. I hear she's picking work to, um, the bedside tables and just throwing them at the wall. Like she's literally smashed her whole house up and she's screaming, oh, my baby. It's hard. And then, like I say, I was focused. And then from that point, I was like, do you know who they are? She went, no. I said, I'll have them by tomorrow morning. And she just looked at me and she goes, I don't doubt that. And then my cousin come round and he was a useless, uh, my cousin, he's, um, he was about that life as well, like drug life and stuff. And he could have, no, he could have took me straight to the people that night. He could have took me to the people. And he goes, if you need me, you know where I am. I said, I don't need you. I don't need nobody. And then I got in my car. I said to the others, I went, you let you look after mum. And the police were like, Paul, you need to let people know first. And I said, I'll be letting everyone know. But i tell you what, like, it's, it's so thing because I, the police let me do their job for a little bit, you know. I had to ring my brother's sons up and I had to say to him, your dad's dead, you know. And they're screaming down the phone and it's just mental. Absolutely mental. But I had to do all of that. So I'm I'm dealing with a lot, like, you know, I'm dealing with, like, I'm never going to see my brother no more. I'm never, like, my mum always said, if any of you go, because the lifestyle that me and my brother lived was, like, my brother was, you know, drug addicted. So he was in and out of, you know, drug houses and just she was worried that he was going to accidentally OD or something like this, you know. Me, I was violence so she was worried that I was going to end up you know hurt myself because some of the stuff that I'd got into was absolutely insane you know from what she she heard back like with a lot of stuff I don't really go in too much because I've never been arrested for it. I've never been things so I haven't had convictions so I, I, it's hard for me to say yeah I did uh, did you hear about that because that was me you know because I'd be nicked straight away from it you know so I've got to be careful as well on, on, on some of the bits, you know, but, yeah. Wow, powerful. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard. And, and, and a lot of people that they don't get is every time that I talk about this to help save people, I put myself back to the beginning again. And, uh, you know, people think, oh, yeah. And, and you always get them, you get them people that say, oh, you're a clout chaser. Nah, this is passion. This is real. This is what I felt. There's no clout in any of this, you know, it's all about the message and I have to put myself back to square one every single time 
to be able to come and do this. You know, I've got a long drive home. I'll drive home and I'll just probably be a bit quiet and I'll be a bit off and tomorrow I'll feel a little bit. Do you know what I mean? But that's what it does to me. But the message is so clear. I have to spread this message because I need kids to stop doing this stuff, man. Stop stop killing each other because the the craziness of what's left behind for someone like me you know i'm i'm you know from a visual i look like a criminal i can i look like i can have it or whatever like i'm hurting i'm suffering you know what i'm saying so like if if i can get that across in doing things like this and you know welling up and yeah it's um it's really powerful yeah i mean i'm speechless me too <laughs> you're made of speechless yeah oh. yeah you're very strong. Yeah. Very strong. I, I, I honestly, if I if I think about falling back a little bit just to have some me time, I don't think I'd get back up again. Wow. Yeah. So in the aftermath of that then, your siblings, what what's going on with you and your siblings? Mm. Um my sister who's um was heavy on drinking stuff, um, I thought I thought she was gonna just kill herself off as well. So my my sister and my brother were best friends. They were the closest together. They were like best friends. They told each other everything. They went to raves together. They'd done drugs together, like smoked and pills and, you know, and they'd, they'd done everything together. You know, they'd be up all night chatting. They'd be, you know, if they if there was any problems with them, it'd be them two. And then it'd be me and my other sister. So that was that. But we were all there for each other. How did she take the news of his death? She, she, if you, if you even mention Oh, Dean, just his name. You'll see her. She's she will start welling up. It's she's she's destroyed. She's a very emotional girl, you know. So she 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 you know she was drinking a lot, and I I thought to myself I can't lose another one. So what I done is I ended up telling her like you know I went to a psychic medium and the psychic medium Dean come through, and he said that if you keep drinking you're gonna die and he doesn't want you to. So I needed to get that into her head so she'd stop drinking. Um, and then um, I ended up getting her come work for me in, in, in my tattoo studio that I had at the time. And um, she's a receptionist and she does a really good job. I keep her busy all the time. But whilst I'm there, I really, I really, I, I, you listen, I walked in the house and my band is straight away. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm on it all the time. And, my sister was so weak, she didn't really get my banter and it was really hard at first for her to think that I wasn't picking on her and all I was doing was just, I'm just trying to build her up and make her sure. Now, she can take like the worst <laughs> jokes, like she is, she's like, well, she goes, oh, that's my little brother and everyone goes, oh, right, your brother. <laughs> now I get why you two are like that, you know, but um, yeah, it took ages to get her that, but emotionally she's wrecked come the anniversaries and stuff she's like can i just have the day off and i'm like now nah, you come to work I'm, I'm at work so you come to work so i go to work on the anniversaries and the birthdays and that lot so she comes to work as well because if i left her at home i don't know if she's going to start going back to the drink and ruin ruin everything that she's she's built up for for one day you know so I try and celebrate the days. Um, I get us all together and go for meals and stuff and just be like, you know, be lucky. And we let off balloons and I try and do everything I can just to try and turn his death into a positive with like the podcast and the, the going out to do college talks. Thanks to Carl. He he got us in the college and, and done things like that. And, um, 
you know, and Jamie gets us into like the youth clubs and stuff. They contact him. He does all the, he does all the emails and stuff because I just can't do technology, you know, um, unless I'm watching, you know. So you were hunting you? down, you were yeah. hunting down the perpetrators then. Yeah. What range are you in from that mission? What, um, what, 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 they got caught. They got caught. They got caught. Um, well, one of them got caught because he got stabbed. How? Um, how did he get stabbed? Or why? Oh, well, he got stabbed because um, he killed my brother. Who did it? Well, ah. yeah, what that kind of question. Yeah, I don't know. You don't know who did it? No. Okay. Yeah. And they all got put inside then, so they're getting... Did all of them go, yeah, face are they getting in- Yeah, so, it, it, do you know when I said about a medium earlier on? Yeah. So I went, I went to a medium, yeah, because... My mum, this, there's this lady, Stephanie Carr. You can look her up. She's famous medium. Yeah. She's absolutely a beautiful woman. Right. And, um, she went to my family believe in all that stuff. I, I didn't, but I do now. Yeah. Um, she went to this medium and they turned around and said to, uh, my sister in February, you're going to have the police on your door. Be prepared. So they were like, Oh, she was like, Oh, my son's got a motorbike. He's going to fall off his motorbike. The police in February the 8th, the police knocked on the door and told us my brother was murdered. Mm. She's actually writing a second book, and we're we're actually in it. I'm in it oh, in wow. her second book, yeah. And um, so they all literally made appointments to go and see her to find out if they can speak to Dean, try and find out what went on. Me, I set up, I set her up, I set this woman up. Um, I've done a different name and that lot, and I went in there, and I was like, you know, she goes, "You've lost someone very soon." And I was like, "Yeah, taken too soon." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then she started telling us about a gang in London. And uh, she turned around and said, your brother said, this gang in London is very dangerous. Do not retaliate. Please, I'm begging you, don't retaliate. And I'm like, my brother, you know, my brother's game. Do you know what I mean? My brother wouldn't tell me. No, we weren't afraid of nothing. We'd, we'd, we, there's some things that we've done. Do you know what I mean? I know that my brother's not telling me not to retaliate because he knows I would. Two weeks after... I come out of there, I went, I said, I've just been to a medium. She turned around and said that you use her to help solve cases. And they said, we have used mediums in the past to solve cases. And I was like, really? I was like, because she told me that it was a gang from London that had something to do with my brother. And she, they, the police go, now nah, we've got no, no inklings of it, anything coming from London. Then two weeks later, they arrested two guys from London. Wow. That were part of a gang that was running county lines. Running the lines, yeah. 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 So knowing that they was in custody then, did that give you a sense of satisfaction that some justice was going to be served one way or the other? Nah, there's no satisfaction. And and I, I, when I say to you, all I needed and wanted, the only goal that I had was murder. Mm. And I would not be satisfied until I have killed these four people. And that was in my head. So when they took that from me, when the police took that from me, because it's the right thing to do, right? But when they took that from me, I didn't know. I, I'm I'm built up with just rage and anger because now I've been done. Like the police have fucked me over again, and I'm not happy because, like, I want to kill these people. I don't want them to serve time. I want to kill them. And so, and, you, so you're making plans yeah. to get arrested and go in, or? It went through my head. Yeah, I can it imagine. went through my head. Yeah, yeah it wow. went through my head because I, I even turned around and said, if I got arrested, they were going to be in certain jails. There's four of them. I'm going to be in one of their jails, right? And I said, yeah, but they'll have you on different wings. You wouldn't get. Out. I said, I'll still be able to get to them. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking. So I called out a couple of my mates. I said, like, you know, are they in there? Turned. I then, I then got 
a phone call from the police saying, um, we need to speak to you. Um, and I was like, what's up? And they said, um, I understand that you are contacting people inside to get them killed inside. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. They said, one of the phones that you'd been speaking on was our undercover phone in inside that we've left on the landing. And that was recording oh, all the God. calls. And I was like, right. And they go, because we know that you struggle and, um, you know, this is very new and your, your emotions are everywhere and you've been very helpful. Um, we're going to get you to sign this bit of paper. So I had to sign this bit of paper that swore that I wouldn't call nobody up in jail to kill these people. Right. And, um, so I've, I've signed, I've read this paper and they say, if you don't sign this, we have to arrest you for, um, you know, willing to commit attempted murder. Do you know what I mean? So I signed this bit of paper and I've still got the paper. The paper's somewhere at home and I've still got it. I had to sign it as, as, as a, is it like an affidavit to say that I I will not contact anyone from jail to get, to get them killed. So I, I, I had that, you know, but when you're, when you're, you know, you, you're left and you are left after the crime's been, the people have been caught. You're left. You really are left. You're not, you know, as much as they turn around and say, we're here for you if you need us. No, they're not because they can't, because all I want to do is give my brother a hug. Do you know what I mean? And you can't give me that. So what am I to do? I, I, I'm, I'm enraged. And this is when I started feeling like there was no one out there for me to be able to go to. And I'm the dangerous one. My mum's not dangerous. My mum just wants to die now. My sisters aren't dangerous. They just want to cry all the time. Me, I want revenge. But there was no one there for me. No, Nobody. So that's when I started seeing things from a victim's point of view. And that was probably the most powerful moment I ever had um, of just sitting in a car on my own and just thinking, I've got nothing else to do now. I can't do nothing. I'm, I, I, I've let my brother down, you know? And, you know, when when you you're alive, right? You live in the day. You think you're you think you're going to wake up tomorrow and the day's still going to be there. But there's that chance that you ain't going to wake up. So but we abuse that power of just assuming that we're going to be there tomorrow. And because of that, yeah, we'll have an argument with someone before we go to sleep. Just expecting we're going to make that up. I had an argument with my brother a week before he died. And it was a horrible argument, you know. We argued, but we loved each other. Do you know what I mean? And it, it was like, you know, and I, I, I had an argument. I said, I hate you. I don't want to speak to you no more. And he'd be like, cool, no problem. You ain't got to see me no more. Do you know what I mean? And then we walked off in a town. And that was the last words we said to each other. Oh, no. You know, so... I can't stress to you enough that if there is a problem with someone in your family or a friend or something, please use this second now to send a text, give them a hug, two hug, two handed hugs is important. This one hug stuff is, is gang shit. You want to just, you know, give that proper hug and just be like, do you know what? Even if you don't want to talk to me, I just want you to know I love you. You're going to get your phone out first. <laughs> so, um, they're in the jail then, and there's got to be a trial, is there? Yeah, how long was the trial? Four months. What was that like for you? It was horrendous, because my my mum had to go in the court on her own for the first four, I think it was about four and a half weeks, about four and a half yeah, weeks. Yeah, because you were getting assessed. I was getting, I was getting yeah. assessed, and... 
And of course, they didn't know whether they, they 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 made the excuse that I couldn't go in there because they might use me as a witness. But as far as I was concerned, I don't know why they would call me as a witness because I'm trying to kill people. So there's nothing that I can they can get from me to get. So they use that as an excuse, just in case I they the mental state was worse than what they thought, and I turned on them, and it just got all a bit nasty. So I in the courtrooms, you know, you got chairs everywhere. They've got rooms where you can go and talk to your solicitor. I was let, I had my own room at the court and I had police guard outside. There was eight coppers. I had a copper in there with me. There was normally two or one that I'd have one copper, one liaison officer. And, um, I went through some liaison officers because I had two liaison officers quit on me because they said that I was so unpredictable that I actually scared, scared them. And because of how difficult I was and how much I put these liaison officers through, I've been put forward to help train liaison officers on how to deal with people like me. Wow. Mm. So, all right, take us through it. And first time you are allowed in the court with your police guard or whatever, are they in there, the perpetrators? Yeah. Did you lock eyes with them? Yeah. Oh. oh my God, what was that like? That must have well, been I, I don't think they knew who I was when I first went in there, but they could see that on, on my face. I, I've I've got a pretty obvious face that you know whether I'm angry or not, yeah? Mm. So um, four and a half weeks gone by, they turned around and said, I said, you can't not let me in the court anymore because, you know, it's all done. You can't, you, they, you've been told you ain't going to call me as a witness, so I'm allowed in there. So I've gone in there and um, as I've gone in there, I've walked in the door and they said, Paul, you've got to be on your best behavior in here if you want to, if you want to last the court. Yeah. So I'm like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I had police behind me. I had a police officer beside me. Um, I've gone walking in as I've gone walking in the judges, the judges here, all the barristers. We had a silt, which is the highest barrister that you can get. They were all at the front and right here was the glass screen and it was boxed because I, I, for me, I already knew what I was going to do. Yeah. Because from whenever I've been in the dock, the glass is only yay high, right? So I knew that when I was in, the copper was going and I was jumping the dock. I was, was going to say, what stopped you from doing this? It was glass top to bottom. That's it? Yeah, that was the only thing. And what were you planning on doing? Whatever I could to make sure that they were dead. Whatever I could, you know. And that was that was, that was was what I had when I first went into court. And then the first time that I had laid eyes on them they heard the door go and we sat here and then there was the square box and it was a wall with a door with like half a window um so you could only see like if you were sitting down you could you could only see the tops of their heads if you stood up you could see their face and as I've come walking in the door they've just turned to see who was coming in the door and I'd come in and I just looked at them and I was like and I, I, I was, I just, I, I looked at him as if to say, like, you, you, you're dead, you are dead. Mm. And then they all, they then looked away. And I sat down, and I, I, I was there, and I was like shaking, mm. and I was all this. And the judge kept looking at me, and I thought, I don't want to ruin this case, but I want to kill them guys. My mum's sitting there, she's sobbing, she's got these ear things in because you can't hear nothing, and. I've got the the um the liaison officer rubbing my shoulders. I'm like, like, stop, like, do you know what I mean? I've got um the coppers there. And then when they when they brought them out to go onto the stand, they brought them out, 
I leant forward. As I leant forward, the copper put his hand on my shoulder and was like, Paul, don't do it. Don't do it because you'll ruin the case. And I was just like, and he walked straight past me. And the copper could see me. And I was was like, honestly, I was just edging. And uh, I thought, if he looks at me, he's done. And he wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't look at me. But when, when he was in there, they were looking at me. But when he come out to pass me, he didn't look at me. So it's amazing what a bit of glass can do for someone's like, yeah, I'm in here for an M charge, you know? And it's like, and then when they come out and they're there, I was like, I was like, look at me. And I was, I was ready. I was, I, I had one foot tucked under the chair, like ready to just launch fast, you know? Oh, and, um, I said, can they just run out any time to the, to the coppers? And they said, yeah. I said, what? They could just go. He went, yeah. I said, did them doors not lock? He go, no. I said, why ain't you got a copper there? He goes, we've got you. <laughs> wow. We got you. Wow. We know that if they go to make a run for it, you'll take them down. <sighs> so they knew that they weren't going to get nowhere because I was I sat I was sitting right next to the door. They said we didn't need a copper there to stop them from going because they had me. Wow. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. This no. is mind-blowing. It's like a movie. I want a podcast, the police officer. That was dealing with me. I, I really want you, yeah. to. Yeah. He's so got to be retired, doesn't he, before he can come on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not long. It's not long. I think I've got about another five years amazing. and there's going to be a podcast to come. But um, did you yeah. Did you have to get on the stand then or anything? No. What and were their excuses? They said that my brother was there to rob him. And um, he was there, and uh, that's what they said. But they went through all the evidence. This is why things took so long, like four months. And it was every day the trial was. There was like two or three days in that four months that we didn't, like they went to deliberation and stuff like that. But um, it went on for so long um, that our jurors started disappearing because they had like jobs and stuff. So we was right down to whether we had to restart the court case again because we only... We had, we had like the jury was like getting less and less, um, and that was that was like I was like oh we can't go through this again you know six hundred thousand it was just for the the barristers in that in that room six hundred grand wow. they summed it all up the CPS summed it all up at the end it was a massive case did they look remorseful or were they acting tough now do you know there was there was one of them. Um, he was, he thought he was cool. He didn't bother going into the stands. He didn't bother making like his thing. He just said, I'm not getting in the stands and, and that lot. And he thought he was going to get away, away with it. And this is what I'm trying to say. There was three of them on road that day that, that killed my brother. One of them was on the phone in London. Right. Telling them what to do. So he wasn't there, but he's serving a life sentence because he was on the phone and they got him by triangular cellular, um, like pinpoint where, where the calls were coming from because some of them, they said uh, he was on the phone and they pinned him to that phone and he's serving 18 years full, full sentence before he can apply for parole. And that was a guy on the phone just making orders. How did they know he'd yeah. give those orders? Did the others end up? They got the phone. Testify- oh. Yeah. One of them spoke out a little bit. They got the phone that the call was made on that was in his name, that was at his address, at one of his addresses that he was triangulated to. So he, he was banged to rights with that. There's text messages that stated that it was him on the phone and they got him that way. Well, how could he prove what he said? Um, one of them cooperated. Yeah. Yeah, but... The- that's them get their word against that's us. How, that's how it, that's how yeah. it ends up. 
put it this way, the case was so strong against him that he's applied for um, a retrial all three times and he got rejected. Wow. That's how strong it was from triangular um, cell data. And What was it like when the sentence was about to come in? Mm. So when these guys come through and they were on the stands, you know, they were like a bit cocky. Do you know what I mean? Two of them were the one that actually killed my brother and the other one. The one that was like, what have I done? Was one of the lads that the other lad said that he stabbed him. But like, so the one that's that got done for the murder, the stabbing, he got 22 years full sentence before he can apply for parole. He said that this guy done it. He got 18 years full sentence before he can apply for parole. So three of them got 18 years each. One got 22 years. All full sentence. They have to serve full. The remand didn't come off. That was nearly a year. The remand didn't come off for that either. And um, before they can apply. So when these sentences were handed, the one that they said was doing it, um, Daniel Gaganda, he was, he come from a good family. Like the dad was a real religious, smart, just humble guy. And he was telling my mum, he went up to my mum and said, like, if my son has done this, I'm truly sorry. You know, I don't know what's got into him. I tried to give him a good life. He just keeps running back to the streets and, and all this. Like, and he was just like a real humble guy. Um, you know, he turned up and then he, he stopped turning up the trial. But when he got, he got found guilty. Yeah. He, he, I, he was standing up and I see him go, and he went like this. And I was like, um, yeah, we've got him. We've got him. And he and, and he's, he now knows he's going to be spending a long time in jail because he's been found guilty. They don't give you the sentence when they tell you you're guilty. That then goes back. That goes to deliberation. And then they come back and tell you the sentencing. So he got found guilty. The other one's got found guilty. Now, the main one that done it, he got found guilty. But he was just like, um, he was a scumbag. So he was like just dying anyway from gear you know he was a proper gearhead you know junkie um so him being in jail was probably not bad for him you know what i mean so um the other one that was triangular date the one that was on the phone he was just cocky so cocksure he was getting away with it so he just sat there like you know and the the judge ended up telling us all to get out a minute so we got out and I said, why have we been kicked out? Because that boy was saying stuff to the jury, saying like, you're all dead to the jury. Yeah, because he's sentencing thing come up and the judge spotted it. Oh. But he was like eyeballing them and telling them they're all dead, trying to stop them from making sure that he goes guilty. He don't get guilty. So we got kicked out. He got dealt with. We then come back in. And uh, we found that out. And I found out that he was trying to intimidate them as well. So then every time I was looking in the dock, the three of them wouldn't look at me. The, he kept looking over. But when I was like on him, he then, he looked away. Do you know what I mean? Um, and when he got sentenced, he just went to walk out. But um, like went to walk out through the screws door, you know. And uh, they went, he goes, where are you going? Come back. And he come back. He says, I, I'm, you, you have been found guilty. And then he was just like, yeah, I know. And then he went to walk out, you know, thinking like he's not, he's going to get the less time out of it all. But when he got 18 years, he did not expect it at all. And then he was like, I'm going to appeal it. You know what I mean? Thinking that he would be able to get the appeal to get his sentence dropped. 
and he'd done it three times. It went to the high courts and none of them got, none of them got it. The evidence, they wanted it so bad. The judges, the barristers, the CPS, they used to come and see me in my room and I was in there and I was being evaluated and I was just like, I want this, like my mum and they, they heard like my testimony and stuff. You know, I, uh, in, you know, I had help writing a letter to the judge saying, you know, my mum is, I lost my mum that day. I lost that. And the judge was so sure that he's going to make it right. So that these guys got justice. I mean, we didn't get what we wanted because they're alive, but at the same time, they're in prison. They, they ain't doing nothing now, you know, and as much as they think that they're, they're all up for uh, murder charges and that they're the men, they're still in prison. Ain't you know, the best part of their life. Like the guy that got 22 years is 49. You know, he's probably going to die in jail, you know, and the others, the other one was 40, 48. And he got 18. So he's probably, you know, there's nothing left for them. Mm-hmm. And the other guys, they're in their 20s, 23 and 26. So they're going to still be quite young to come out. But if they haven't got any children, they ain't having children at that age. Do you know what I mean? They ain't getting a mortgage at that age. They ain't, they're like, they, you know, they ain't getting nothing. Mm. Maybe they're thinking about that. Maybe they're not. But all I know is I haven't got, I can't do nothing without, you know, because I've signed this affidavit and I can't do nothing. And, and and whilst I'm doing that, the only thing I can do is to make sure that my brother's life wasn't in vain and he didn't die for nothing. And with that, I I tend to carry on with the podcast and creating a legacy on behalf of my brother and to help try and cure myself whilst helping other people. So I will continue um, spreading the message. And like I say, like watch a show for years, I seen, you know, I, I was watching it from a different angle when I used to watch it and I used to be like, oh man, I want to be like some of these people. Now I, I think to myself, if I can feel like this, I know the people that you podcast and other people podcast, yeah, they've also got that feeling in them just because no one's come at them with it. They ain't getting it out. And I do podcasts with people, t- tough men, you know, I, you know, Razor and, and like all of these guys that are really well respected, you know, Kevin Lane, all, the, all these guys that are really well respected in the criminal fraternity, all say, I wish we never done any of it. I wish, I wish like if I, if I could do it all over again, I would and I wouldn't have gone down a criminal route. These are all, these are the messages that I'm getting out of these people, even though they've got a story that you guys can elaborate on and, and just get this like that was their life. I've got. I do the same people, but I get a different side of it out. So it's almost like therapy, like you said at the beginning, you know, and, you know, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it and, and pain. So how did you get into it? I needed, I got to a point where I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to forget my brother. Can we just go back a second? After the trial and what was life like for you and your family? Mm. It, it was hard, mate. It was hard. Um, where when you lose someone and you're going to trial you you're you're busy you know i've got newspapers i'm dealing with i've got you know the bbc ringing me up i've got you know i've got just so much stuff i've got people like i heard about your brother i'm trying to deal with all this i've got flowers turning up at the shop can you give them to your mum i'm trying to hide them from my mum i'm trying to you know make sure she's okay so for me 
I was very, very busy, but I, I preferred to be busy. So I didn't have chance to stop because like I say, even still now, I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think I, I will let myself stop. So I've got to carry on with this, but my mum spends most of the time in bed. She goes to bed at five o'clock. She pops tablets and she's like out for the count. Mum used to ring me up and she used to be like, she used to ring me up and say, all right, son, I'm now going to bed. All right, um, I'll see you in the morning. I'm like, all right, mum, see you in the morning. Love you, bye. She's like, yeah, and then she'll ring me up in the morning. You're like, but now I've had to tell my mum to stop calling me at night time. Do not call me at night time anymore, mum. Because when she rings up, she's like, all right, all right. And I'm like, Mum, have you had your tablet? She's like, yeah. I was saying, and I'm I'm there looking at her, and I'm thinking, if you die tonight, this is my last memory, and I already had that last memory of telling my brother I don't want nothing to do with him anymore. I don't need that memory of my mum being jacked up off her tits, like you know, blurring, and she's like rolling her eyes like a junkie. My mum's a junkie now, on prescription drugs. So now I can't say goodnight to my mum anymore. I don't have that luxury anymore. I just got to hope that she rings me in the morning. Because I don't ring her in the morning. Because I want her to have a purpose to get up in the morning. I must ring my son. See how he is. I don't want to wake her up. And then she's like halfway through her sleep. And she's like, yeah, I'm still in bed. I'm like, all right, I'll see you later. And she won't ring me for the rest of the day. So she won't get out of bed. So I have to let her ring me. And I think to myself, when I see her come up, mum... I'm like, she's made it for another night. Yeah. That's really tough. It's deep. Mm. And this is what... 14 seconds? 14 seconds of violence caused. 14 seconds of violence has caused so much trauma. It's unreal. Wow. So the therapeutic journey then was the podcast. It was... I set up a charity. Um, I have a fully legal charity now. Um, I set that up on behalf of my brother. It's called the Be Lucky Anti-Crime Foundation. We go out and um, we do events. We set up, um, we, we, we get phone calls from council and, and, and people and we go out to troubled areas and set up little events. And uh, one of the ones we've done last year, which we're doing again this year, was in an area where crime has dropped by 15% um, because of what we did. And it's absolutely amazing. So there was a basketball wow. court that was the, just damaged from kids. We ended up getting a graffiti artist. We graffitied up all of the basketball court. Um, we run alongside another charity that does mental health. And um, we they put on an event and they wanted us to become part of it. And we'd done a basketball tournament and with the basketball tournament, we ended up getting coppers to come down and play the crims. So it was cops V crims. And um, just to help build the relationship back with each other, instead of just being like, you know, what are you looking at? Why are you here? Get away feds, you know? And now they're like, wait until next year, we're going to do you on the court. And, <laughs> and it's really has like really improved that area that we've managed to do it. So we're doing it again this year, August 21st which is on a Sunday, which is good. Um, so we're going to do it again. It's going to be absolutely massive. And the kids are all like, let us know when you're doing it again. So it's, it's really, and we're pulling kids from estates that don't normally mingle because they're not allowed on each other's estates. And we're pulling them all in and they're all down there. No crime. There was a thousand, thousand people down there that day. Wow. Never been seen before on that court and not one bit of crime. Wow. Not one bit of crime. That's amazing. We've done that. My mum shaved her hair off. What? My mum shaved her hair off to raise raise money for the charity, um, which we end up, um, we're, at the minute, we're now on our seventh 
bleed kit. So we've got stab kits. You know when you see um, defibrillators in metal boxes on the side of, we've got stab kits. So um, we're putting them around the town. What is in a stab kit? Um, everything that you could do. So you get, so you've got a tourniquet kit. Um, you've got stuff in there where you can put it on and it foams up and stops stops the bleeding. Um, you've got so like do you know when you take your belt off and you wrap it around, you, mm. it's got all of that like in there. It's got a blanket in there, so if they they drop drop down the temperature, it's got like these round bandages. If the cut's really big, you can push it in there and then it like opens up to try and stop the bleeding. But these these are the kits that we got. They're five hundred and fifty pounds each kit. And uh, we've managed to do, do seven so far, and we're getting local businesses to, to to buy one, and then they get advertised on the business, and we're getting them around, and the businesses are doing really, they're really all getting involved. We've got one on each estate, which we're going to be putting in as soon as they turn up. We're going to have four in the town centre, um, because you know a lot of people they tend to die because no one knows what to do, or they don't have nothing around. And because of that, we're putting stuff in place to make sure that no one else dies because of it. You're wow. going to save a lot of lives. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, podcasting. Podcasting, yeah. yeah. I, I, I had to find out therapy and the only way I could do it was talking to myself um, on camera. And I did that um, and that really helped me massively. It really helped me massively. But at the same time, it destroyed me because people that have recognized who I am in the street, they recognize me through pain and not success, you know, but um, like I'm okay because if my pain has made them think, and the the big thing as well is like, do you know how many kitchen knives you've got in your drawer? Five. You think? I think. You think? Yeah. Can you imagine, can you imagine it? Well, like the proper blades. Yeah. Yeah. Five five you know yeah. there's so many people out there that don't know how many knives they have in their kitchen and you know some go missing they go oh, we'll just buy some new ones or just ignore it know that that knife's gone if you've got a kid that's active you know or of that age that knife has not gone missing it's been took to cause damage you know and you know we, this is where we try and raise awareness so just in households with like um parents you know um if they're not sure what to look for and uh, one of the things is make sure you count your knives because you don't know how many you got in your kitchen you know, because that's that's a good indication because most of the stabbings that are happening are happening from kitchen noise. Of course. Paul, this is one of the most powerful stories we've ever heard. And I'm sure the people watching are like some of them perhaps are carrying knives or knife crimes affect them somehow. What do you want to tell the viewers that have been on this journey with us today? I just want to, you know, like you don't realise that you'll ever become a victim. And that's the problem. And you don't realise the pain that you're causing people until you become a victim. Just don't wait to be a victim and lose someone you truly love before you start making a change with what you're doing. Because if you feel like that two seconds of power is going to give you the rep that you feel like you deserve, no, it's it's not going to be relevant because you're going to be in jail, yeah, and your rep won't even mean nothing because there's people in there you'll be sharing with that are just 10 times worse than you. And that's going to be your life, you know, where you just put down, put down a knife, count your kitchen knives in your kitchen, make, just talk to your kids, try and raise awareness as much as you can. And just, you know, just don't live the lifestyle because I promise you, when you get to a certain age, you're going to regret everything because I do. Yeah. Yes, don't get gangsterite. Right. Just stay on a positive track. And 
All of Paul's links are going to be below in the description box. So where can people find you and support you and follow you? Um, Paul Stansby Podcast. Uh, that's right away throughout all of the social media platforms, Twitter, um, TikTok. We just set up to, I'm not very good at this technology <laughs> stuff. Jamie deals with a lot of stuff. I, I, I like the Instagram stuff I deal with and, and, you know, just the YouTube, get on that. But Jamie's my guy for all that. Like, but it's TikTok, Facebook, um, all, literally all of the platforms we're on to Paul Stansby podcast. Brilliant, man. Give us yeah, a hug. Give us a yeah. hug. That was amazing. Oh, sorry. Mics <laughs> everywhere. Oh, thank you. Work, no. Thank you so much. Wow. Oh, that was. Yeah. Ooh. So we've been brilliant, man. Brilliant. Yeah. The spirit of your brother is in the room. Definitely. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandert, The Life of a Cheeky Faker. And from the back cover blurb, Max the Forger is an artist and gentleman whose colourful lifestyle has spanned over 70 years. He has lived under the strict regime of Bernardo's children's homes, been an elephant handler in the circus, lived rough, busked his way from Brighton to Bombay, sold his fakes up and down the country, dined with dukes, socialised with celebrities, associated with gangsters, served time in prison, and donated tens of thousands to charity. And through it all, he has never stopped smiling and loving life and missing his mum. Quote from the book. Mr. Brandert, I do not see you as a malicious criminal, sighed the judge. But why, oh why, do you continue to use your God-given talent in this way? I just can't help myself, Your Honour. It's like an addiction, I grinned. Available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Gen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textiles Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk.